0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Find on Film. Happy New Year and to the end of year awards for 2021. I thought I'd do something a little bit different to kind of cap off the year. We didn't really get the chance to do this last year because obviously the 2020 box office and the film released in 2020 were a little bit here and there. Um, I looked at my top 10 for 2020 the other day and I thought it's fine. There's some good films in there, but it's not, you know, it's not amazing. Um, But 2021 has brought a lot of restrictions lifted and a lot of trips to the cinema. So I'm going to basically work through the films that I've seen, and I've got some awards to kind of hand out, uh, just to sort of shed light on the things I watched this year, the new things that I watched this year, and, yeah, basically just to cap off 2021. So uh, I will say as well, this is episode 99 of on Film. We're going to come to episode 100 just before the end of the podcast. But I'm going to start off by just saying... This year, I've seen 36 of the new releases of the films that were released in 2021. Not as many as I'd like to see. Definitely not as many as I've seen in the past. There were some years gone by now where I'd I'd easily get up to 60, 70 of the new releases. Um, Things have changed. Obviously, I think COVID has kind of added an extra change onto it. And obviously, you know, being a dad and stuff like that, not being able to get out to the cinema as much as possible. But I would say 36 is still quite a good going. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to list through the films that I have seen this year as a bit of a caveat as a bit of a kind of you're probably going to hear some of the nominees for some of the awards and you're going to think oh I would have put that in there I would have put that in there chances are I've not seen it um, so in alphabetical order, as done by Letterboxd uh, The Adams Family 2, Black Widow, Candyman, Sensor, Clifford the Big Red Dog, The Courier, Cruella, Dune, Escape Room Tournament of Champions, Eternals, The Father, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Godzilla vs Kong, The Guilty, Halloween Kills, In the Heights, Last Night in Soho, Malignant, The Matrix Resurrections, The Night House, No Time to Die, Old, One Night in Miami, Paw Patrol the Movie, A Quiet Place Part 2, Raya and the Last Dragon, Ride the Eagle, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Spider-Man No Way Home, Spiral from the Book of Saw, The Suicide Squad, Tick Tick Boom, The Toll, Venom Let the Be Carnage, Vivo, and Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, so I think there's a bit of a mixed bag in there. There's definitely some quality in there. There's definitely some lacking quality. There are some films that I might not even mention at points today, so I might sort of drop in when I mention them for the first time and give you a quick sort of, this is what I was thinking about that film. Um, I am aware, obviously, that there's quite a lot missing from that list. Um, the ones that are on my sort of to-watch list and that I'm quite eager to go and, to go and see um, are things like The Sparks Brothers, the right documentary, which I didn't get around to, Another Round, Nobody, Judas and the Black Messiah. Sound of Metal is one that I've been wanting to get to for quite a while now and I've just not been able to. Free Guy. Free Guy is a film that I'm really surprised that I still haven't got around to watching, especially with it being on Disney+. And to be honest, it looks like it'd be right up my street. And the last one, which I should have been, I should have gone and watched. um, But for whatever reason, it didn't happen. West Side Story. So they're the films that aren't going to appear on the list. The 36 that I've just mentioned aren't going to appear on some of these lists and some of these categories. Um, So let's get straight into it. So the first award is for Best Music. And the nominees for that category are Pruella, which features songs such as Stone Cold Crazy by Queen and Feeling Good by Nina Simone. In the Heights, which has songs obviously written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, some select songs being the titular In the Heights, 96,000 and Blackout. Last Night in Soho features music such as Got My Mindset On You by James Ray, Puppet On A String by Sandy Shaw, and Starstruck by The Kinks. The Suicide Squad, select songs being Suckers Prayer by The Decemberists, Whistle For The Choir by The Fratellis, and Just a Jiggle by Louis Prima. And Tick Tick Boom, obviously again, songs written by Jonathan Larson, Uh, such as 3090, Johnny Can't Decide, and Swimming. And the winner of that category is Tick, Tick, Boom. Tick, Tick, Boom was a film that I saw quite recently. Um, I was watching it while I was kind of just milling about on a Sunday. And it really, really kind of sort of latched itself into my mind. And it's just something that I've not been able to stop thinking about since. I've not been able to stop um, singing the songs since. I've gone back to the songs quite a lot. Um, And it was actually a film that, I watched twice in one day. Um, So I watched it and my wife took uh, my daughter Ruby to bed and instead of me then listening to the soundtrack, I decided to watch the film again. Um, So I just thought, yeah, I'm going to give that one a go. So to kind of celebrate Tick-Tick Boom winning winning Best Music at the End of Year Awards, I'm going to play you a clip from 3090. such a great song definitely an earworm um we're going to move into best original score and the nominees for best original score are Hans Zimmer for Dune, Rob Simonson for Ghostbusters Afterlife, Hans Zimmer for No Time to Die, Michael Giacchino for Spider-Man No Way Home and Charlie Klauser for Spiral from the Book of Saw. Now you're probably looking at them and you're probably thinking that's a bit of a strange list isn't it but I think with the Hans Zimmer scores, Dune and No Time to Die especially, they elevated so much of those films. And then when I go back to Rob Simonson's score for Ghostbusters Afterlife, Charlie Klaus' score from Spider-Man Book of Saw, same with Giacchino's for Spider-Man No Way Home, there's such nostalgia and fan service from all of those original films in those franchises that I couldn't not put them in the kind of field of nominees here. But the winner by, if I'm honest, a country mile, because as I as Ollie actually agreed with me i think it's his best work in many many a year is han zimmer for no time to die and i'm going to play you a clip from final ascent which is one of the select songs from that score <laughs>
1: isn't dead.
0: a fantastic score from a film that really, really surprised me with how good it was and how, how much I enjoyed it. So the next award is for Best Screenplay. The nominees are Jordan Peel, Wynne Rosenfeld and Nia Costa for Candyman, John Spates, Denis Villeneuve and Eric Roth for dune Edgar Wright for Last Night in Soho, Kent Powers for One Night in Miami and Florian Zeller and Christopher Hampton for The Father. Now, Again, good mix of films there. Dune coming up again. Um, Candyman was a film that I wish was a bit more brutal. I remember tweeting that and someone who I have no idea who they were tweeting me back saying it was brutal. Um, I don't know. I think I, I'd watched the original for the first time before I went in to go and watch the uh, the Neo de Costa version. And I just thought it should have been more bloody. There should have been more things to it. Um, but there's no doubt that as a social commentary and a horror film, very similar to Jordan Peele's Get Out, that it was definitely trying to tell a story there. Last Night in Soho, what a weird blend of genres for Edgar Wright. One Night in Miami, taking that sort of stage play and elevating it on screen, uh, in the screenplay written by Kent Powers. But there is only one winner, and that winner is Florian Zeller and Christopher Hampton for The Father. Now, I didn't expect to enjoy The Father, I was very kindly sent an email by Lionsgate asking me if I wanted to review the film, um, which I kindly took them up on the offer for. Um, And this wasn't before the cinema release, so I didn't see it sort of late last year, 2020. I didn't see it really at the, the start of this year. I saw it kind of midway through 2021, ready for its home video release. And I just thought it was going to be one of those films where obviously you know, Anthony Hopkins Hopkins is going to be perfect in it, Olivia Coleman's going to be perfect in it, and it's going to be a performance-heavy film. But the way that the narrative takes you on this journey of going inside the mind of an Alzheimer's patient or a dementia patient and dealing with the way that everything is confusing to them, and then also at the same time confusing the audience as well, I think it's superbly written, and I think the way that the narrative works is just something that really elevated that film for me and really put it in the sort of, I'll be honest now, top 10 films for 2021 for me. So I'm going to play you a quick clip from The Father that kind of demonstrates this narrative intricacy of the film. Your whiskey.
1: Thank you. Cheers. Oh, Mmm. Do you know, I give everything I own for a glass of whiskey. Don't you agree?
2: Well, I don't own all that much,
1: so. Oh, really? (laughs) What do you do for a living? Um, I look after other people. Other people? Hmm, yeah, my job is to help people who need help. (laughs) Oh. Sounds like one of those girls you're always trying to dump off a maid here. Must be a difficult job, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, spending all day with one of those... I mean, I couldn't stand it. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) What about you? What did you do for Um, a living? Oh, I was a dancer. Were you? Yes. Dad? What? You were an engineer. What do you know about it? Yes, tap dancing was my specialty. Really? You seem surprised. Yeah, a little bit. Why, don't you believe me? Or you find that difficult to imagine? (laughs) Of course. It's just...
2: I've... I've always loved tap dancing.
1: You really? Wow! Well, I'm still great at it. I'll show you. <laughs> <Ay>! <laughs> Jolly good. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I know. I know who she reminds me of. Who? It's Lucy. Lucy when she was younger. Lucy? Yeah, my other daughter. <laughs> That's right. There's a resemblance, don't you think? Yeah, maybe. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Her unbearable habit of laughing namely, I
0: had you there, didn't I? Again, great example of Anton Hopkins' phenomenal work in The Father. Our next category is um, a bit of a different one. I've kind of followed some of the same Oscar-y kind of stuff, um, but one that I wanted to shed a bit of light on. Best Scene. So what was my favourite scene from a film this year? Um, so I've gone with, as nominees, the opening scene from A Quiet Place Part 2, 96,000 from In the Heights, the finale sequence from Malignant, Cuba from No Time to Die, and what I'm referring to as the showdown at the Statue of Liberty from Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, again, all of these scenes are perfect. The opening of A Quiet Place 2 perfectly sets that film up. It takes us into the world once again. It sure throws us back a couple of years before the outbreak and kind of brings more sort of to the fold what exactly happened. Um, The 96,000 sequence from In the Heights, I'm sure everyone who's seen that film will agree with me, Uh, the sort of collective sequence um, in the shared pool. Cuba from No Time to Die, where we see Ana de character, who quite a short change by the film, if I'm going to bring a criticism to it, And obviously, not to spoil anything, because you can go to the spoiler special review of Spider-Man No Way Home that we did. The showdown at Statue of Liberty brings everything together in that film. But you're aware of the one that I've missed out and ultimately my winner and the one that made me watch this film because of how people were reacting to it, the finale sequence from Malignant. Now, I ain't going to spoil anything for you here. I want you to go and check this out for yourselves because I watched Malignant and I was like, Okay, this is a pretty naff film. Um, James Wan is one of my favourite directors of all time. I met James Wan 10 years ago when he released Insidious and he was doing a Q&A for Insidious. And I love the Saw films. I've spoken about them before on this podcast. And in my eyes, he very rarely puts a foot wrong. Watching Malignant, I was a bit like, uh, okay, this seems a bit naff. This seems a little bit thingy, but I, I I've, I've been, I've, I've been told, and I've heard from people that this thing is going somewhere, and I need to see where it's going. And the one thing that I will say to you, as soon as, as soon as something comes flying from the roof, it all goes BS crazy, and that's all I'm gonna say. I recommend that you go and check it out. It is the most insane finale sequence I've ever seen in a film. I am, obviously, like I've done with the other ones. I want to play you a clip from Malignant, but it's not anything to do with the finale. Going into it, I thought this was going to be demons and stuff. My God, does it change. But anyway, it is a bit of Malignant. Go and check it out when you can. That was a bit more of a visual clip than I expected. Never mind. Um, okay, going into some heavy-hitting categories now. Best Supporting Actress. The nominees for Best Supporting Actress are Florence Pugh, Black Widow, McKenna Grace, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Olga Murides from In the Heights, Olivia Coleman for The Father, and Alexandra Shipp from Tick, Tick, Boom. So I've mentioned The Father, I've mentioned a little bit about In the Heights. Um, the character of Abuela in In the Heights is the emotional pin that holds everything together. McKenna Grace in Ghostbusters afterlife. It's very rare that I am, and this is going to sound very kind of evil, I suppose. Um, child actors, child performers on things like Britain's Got Talent and all those other talent shows can't be doing it with it. I ain't somebody who's going to be sitting down and watching The Voice Kids on an evening. Can't be doing it with it. But McKenna Grace was phenomenal in that film. Florence Pugh in Black Widow absolutely stole the show as Elena, and I just can't wait to see more of her. But my winner, and I'm going to explain why, actually I'm going to show you why, is Alexandra Ship for Tick Tick Boom. There is one song that, since I've gone back to the soundtrack and listened to it more, that just sticks with me, and it's Come To Your Senses. And I'm going to play you a little bit of Come To Your Senses right now, Alexandra Shipp in this film is absolutely phenomenal. She, she again, I feel like I've said this a lot, she holds everything together. Like her relationship with Andrew Garfield, and we'll get to Andrew Garfield um, in just a little bit, is so believable. The chemistry between them, again, is so believable. And this is the second time on this podcast and not too recent memory where I've been talking about the chemistry between Andrew Garfield and another actress in a film that he's been in. Um, but I'm going to play you come to your senses, just listen to this. This is absolutely amazing.
2: defenses are not the way to go and you know or at least you knew can't you recall when this all began it was only you and me it was only me and you i have to laugh we shall. Sure Come to your senses Come to your senses
0: want to give a shout out as well to vanessa hudgens who's also featured in that clip and again she was another one who easily could have made this category another one that again could have easily made this best supporting actress category is zendaya for spider-man no way home we spoke about this on the spoiler podcast that some of the acting in spider-man no way home is some of the best acting i've ever seen in a superhero film ever and not just from zendaya from a number of different cast members um so we're going to move into Best Supporting Actor. Now, this was a bit of a strange one. In the there was a bit of a front runner, I would say, quite early on, and somebody who I think has been a bit overlooked in the categories and the nominations that are coming out elsewhere. Now, this might just be me. It might just be the the other people who are being nominated in these categories. I've just not seen the films that they've been nominated for. Um, but to kind of go through the nominations that I've got. So Paul Walter Hauser for Cruella. Um, Cruella was a film that like I did not expect to enjoy as much as I did. And Paul Walter Hauser is phenomenal in it. He's he's so funny. Oscar Isaac for Dune. Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, who was nominated for the Oscar earlier in the year. Um, And another one who wasn't and was kind of ignored for One Night in in Miami was Kingsley Benadur playing Malcolm X. I thought he gave a great performance as Malcolm X. And uh, Robin de Jesus for um, Tick, Tick, Boom. Now, films I've mentioned, film, I'm not going to kind of go over this, uh, but my winner for this one is Oscar Isaac for Dune. Now, Oscar Isaac playing the leader of the House of Atreides, Paul's dad, Timothy Alcharmé's dad, there are so many times in this film where he just gives it so much gravitas and stoic stoicism that the film needs it for us to believe Paul's story for him to move on. I'm going to play a clip from Dune that kind of illustrates this point that I'm trying to make here, that Oscar Isaac as leto Atreides was so underrated this year. This performance was so underrated. And this is the sequence where he's having a conversation with Paul. Father,
3: I'd like to ask to join Duncan, Idaho, on a scout mission to Arrakis tomorrow. I've studied the Fremen language, I'd be an asset. Out of the question. you will travel in a few weeks to Arrakis like the rest of us. I've been training my whole life. What is the point if I'm not allowed to you face know some actual why, risk? Paul. You're the future of House Atreides. And grandfather fought bulls for sport. Yes. And look where that got him. I need you by my side. When we get to Arrakis, we'll face enormous danger. What danger? The Fremen? The desert? Political danger. The Great Houses look to us for leadership. And this threatens the Emperor. By taking Arrakis from the Harkonnens and making it ours, he sets the stage for a war, which would weaken both houses. But if we hold firm and tap the true power of Arrakis, we could be stronger than ever. What does that mean? Mining spice, keeping the Fremen in their place? We'd be no better than Harkonnens. No. By making an alliance with the Fremen. That's what I've sent Duncan Idaho to arrange. Here on Caladan, we've ruled by air power and sea power. On Arrakis, we need to cultivate desert power. I want you sitting in on my council. Learn what I do. What if I'm not, Dad? Not what? The future of House Atreides. I told my father I didn't want this either. I wanted to be a pilot. You never told me that. My grandfather said, a great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it, and he answers. And if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be, my son.
0: I found my own way to it. Maybe you'll find yours. In their memory. I just can't deny the sort of, again, stoicism, gravitas that he brings to that role. The way that he handles the script as well. is It's, it's a fantastic performance. It's not getting the credit it deserves. Moving into Best Actress. Millicent Simmons, are quite A Quiet Place too. Neve Algar for *Sensor*. Rebecca Ferguson for Dune, Thomas and Mackenzie, The Last Night in Soho, Thomas and Mackenzie for Last Night in Soho, and Rebecca Hall for The Night House. Now, again, spoken about a lot of these films, *Sensor* is one that I've not... I wasn't a, a massive fan of Censor. I can understand why people liked it, and I went into it, I think, bringing how much everyone had loved it, had fallen over it, had said it, it was a great film. And there is no doubt at the middle of that film, at the centre of that film, that Neve Algar holds everything together. and McKenzie in Last Night in Soho. Again, fantastic performance from her. But there can only be one winner. And I've gone back to the horror well, and I've picked Rebecca Hall for The Night House. Now, The Night House isn't in my top 10. It's not one of the best films I've seen. It's a good film. It's an absolutely fine film. It's a very effective horror film. But again, I think that was kind of done and was more successful because of Rebecca Hall's performance in the film. I fully believed everything that she was going through. And there's a point in the film where her sort of very stereotypical, very kind of familiar sort of, I'm a woman in a horror film performance changes and it becomes a little bit more meta. She becomes a lot more comedic. And there are, again, points where you'd go, yeah, I can fully understand why she's reacting like that. I'm going to play you a clip. And again, apologies if this is a bit more of a visual clip because obviously we're going back to the horror world. But if you've not yet seen The Night House, it's on Disney Plus through the Star app on Disney Plus. So I very much recommend that you go and check it out and specifically Rebecca Hall's performance in this film. Who is this? Again, not the best clip. Apologies. I'm working with what I've got here, people, uh, which is basically what I could find on YouTube. Um, Okay, we're going to move into Best Actor and the nominees for Best Actor are Timothy Chalamet for Dune, Daniel Craig, No Time to Die, Anthony Hopkins, The Father, Jake Gyllenhaal, The Guilty and Andrew Garfield, Tick, Tick, Boom. Now, just to talk about the guilty for a second, talk about um, a film in a bottle, a film that takes place in one location over and over and over again. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal, absolutely masterful performance, holding the screen together, holding the film together. I've already spoken about Dune, Timothy Chalamet, very good in Dune. Daniel Craig in No Time to Die, obviously. It's his swan song, isn't it? He's going to give his absolute best performance. Anthony Hopkins in the father again but there is only one winner and you've probably already guessed it because I may have spelled it earlier it's Andrew Garfield's Tick-Tick Boom and if there is any justice in this world thank you Lamar uh, he's going to get nominated and win the Oscar this year because it is the best performance I have seen in a while by a country mile Andrew Garfield in Tick-Tick Boom that gives me an excuse to play something else from Tick-Tick Boom here's swimming from Tick-Tick Boom
2: Why won't Susan answer my calls? Sweat, wet, echo, smell, hell, rap. Pump up the volume, hot, wet,
4: hot, sweat. How's the water? Stretch, stretch, spit in the mask. Cloudy vision, test the water. Contemplate the dye, the shock to the skin. Anticipate
2: the pain, the pain, the pain, the pain, the pain. Now. One, two, three, oh, bite the air. set. there's that girl. One, two, three. Oh, bite the air smooth, soft skin, two three. Oh, bite the thirteen long legs,
4: brown skin and wet hair. Whoa, 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 and wet hair. Does Rosa
3: even listen to my tape? Kick, stretch,
2: windmill arms. See the hand, point the feet. Wet hair, relax. This guy's too slow. Fifteen. When I make it to 40, to but touch his heel, move, answer my calls. Red fin, stripe, 50 feet, 60 feet. She looks like Susan, Susan's beautiful. Out, don't think out, out, let it out. Keep the shoulder down. Down easy, not too hard. Find the movement's origin. Hands low, shoulder low, elbows low. Lower from the back, yes, lower.
0: Again, another example of that film's great soundtrack. Penultimate award, Best Director, nominees, Nida Costa, Candyman, Denis Villeneuve, Dune, Edgar Wright, Last Night in Soho, Florian Zeller, The Father, and Lin-Manuel Miranda for Tick, Tick, Boom. Films that I've spoken quite a bit about so far. I think there's becoming a bit of an upward trend. Uh, Edgar Wright surprised me so much. Such a different taking Last Night in Soho. Um, you're probably thinking this is going to go to tick boom. It's not. Uh, there is no doubt at all that the best director this year is Denis Villeneuve for Dune. The fact that he just created this world that the film just drops you into immediately and unashamedly just goes, yeah, you're going to have to get used to this because you're now on the ride for the next two and a half hours. And then as the film abruptly stops at the end, you're going to have to wait for next time, aren't you? Because we've got more to show you next time round. I think the fact that it was all fully realized and obviously you could tell every sort of little part that he's put together of this film that, or I should say this book, this story, this novel, that Frank Herbert wrote that everyone has tried to do over the years and no one's quite managed it. And if I'm honest, I think he's done it here. I think Villeneuve has done it here. So the clip I'm going to show you isn't one from the film. It's, a sequence of Denis talking to Simon Mail recently from with Entertainment about Dune. Just to begin at the beginning, can, this is a book, as I understand
4: it, which has been by your bedside for decades. How long have you been thinking about making Dune?
5: I discovered a book uh, around 13 years old, you know, so it's almost 40 years since uh, I read it for the first time. At the time, of course. Uh, I was impressed. Uh, I, I, I had been uh, since uh, that period of time very deeply inspired and impressed by uh, by what the book means and and and, and the way Frank Herbert created those worlds it's a really impressive uh, book now at the beginning i had some early dreams about uh, making adaptation but that those at the time i was a kid it was just a Mm. fantasy but as i as i grew up as as i did evolve as a filmmaker the idea came back and it's always like it was like a kind of um, el dorado for me you know the ultimate dream to bring to the screen it's like a a project that you have once in a lifetime and um it happened that uh, I was waiting for a new adaptation f- since years after the David Lynch uh, movie uh, was half satisfying for me. And uh, I was waiting for someone else to uh, bring the spirit of the book to the screen, something closer to the spirit of, of the book. And uh, I kept waiting, 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 and uh, nobody did it. So at one point I got tired and I, I tried <laughs> to get the right myself. So I
4: wonder, are, have you been faithful to your... Those visions that you had, those dreams that you had when you, when you were so young, is that what you've been faithful to alongside the book as opposed to even looking at the other versions?
5: No, the, 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 this is really a new adaptation that we, we, I focused entirely and exclusively on the book. I try to make a movie that would be removed from any kind of influence from what had been done before. And the idea here that the process was to go back to the origins, to the early images that came in my mind when I read the book uh, as a kid. And uh, that was like a, like an archaeologist going back in time and bringing back those images, those old images to the surface, those uncorrupted, <laughs> I would say, images. And that was like a, a very um, interesting process. That The first time I was doing something like that, and uh, it, uh, that had the burden of trying to please that teenager that I was uh, back then, very arrogant and a uh, <laughs> <laughs> big dreamer. You know, So it's, uh, it was like a very interesting process yeah, to go back in time and to bring back those images from those years.
0: So that was Denis Villeneuve talking to Simon May about Dune and making Dune, finally. So final award... Best film, I think it's a bit obvious from this point. So my top 10 films of the year, in no particular order, A Quiet Place Part 2, Black Widow, Dune, Ghostbusters Afterlife, No Time to Die, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Spider-Man No Way Home, The Father, The Suicide Squad, and Tick, Tick, Boom. This was difficult. This was difficult. Because to kind of let you in on my top 10, very early on, at the beginning of the year, A Quiet Place too was sat very comfortably at the top of number one. And it was there for a while. Then I, watched, uh, then I watched No Time to Die. And that was straight in at number one. That was bang, right there. Easiest, best film I'd seen up to that point. Then I watched Tick, Tick, Boom. And that was the film that overtook No Time to Die at the top of my list. And then I watched Spider-Man No Way Home. And the winner of this is Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, if I'm honest, it could have very easily have gone to Tick, Tick, Boom, as I think you might have been able to get from this uh, podcast. But Spider-Man No Way Home, I will admit I have issues with the first half of the film, or at least I did on my first viewing. I am yet to go back and watch it again. So that might change. But the second hour is everything that a Spider-Man fan somebody who's spent the last, what, almost 20 years now since the first Sam Raimi film, watching Spider-Man on screen, watching the multiple iterations of him, seeing it all culminate and come together in this in this film is absolutely phenomenal. If you've not yet, please go back and listen to the spoiler special that we did where myself, Ollie and Ty got together and spoke about the film, what we loved and basically just went through the plot of the film and, and discussed it in, in detail. So the winner of best film, my favorite film of 2021, is Spider-Man No Way Home. I'm gonna play you the second trailer, which we would not yet played on this podcast. We played the first one. I'm gonna play the second one. And then I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about episode 100. Ever since I got
3: bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out.
5: When you botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man, we started getting some visitors. From every universe.
3: Hello, Peter. You're not Peter Parker. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Dr. Otto Octavius.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, no, seriously, what's your actual
4: name?
5: There are others out there. We need to send them back. So, Scooby-Doo this crap.
2: You know, all this is kinda your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word, please.
5: Please, Scooby-Doo, this crap. You're
3: flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die fighting Spider-Man. It's their fate. I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, me too.
5: Don't.
4: Look, there has to be another
5: way! There isn't. There a danger to our universe. You're not gonna take this away from me.
3: Peter, you're struggling to have everything you want while the world tries to make you choose.
1: No, my fault. I can't save everyone.
4: What's happening? They're starting to come through, and I can't
0: stop them. If you've not yet seen Spider-Man No Way Home, and bearing in mind that at the time of recording, it's grossed a billion dollars worldwide, I'm going to assume that you have seen it. Um, I highly recommend that you go and watch it. So just to kind of recap the awards. Uh, so best music, Tick, Tick, Boom. Best score, Hans Zimmer for No Time to Die. Best screenplay, Florian Zeller and Christopher Hampton for The Father. Best scene, the finale sequence from Malignant. Best Supporting Actress, uh, Alexandra Ship for Tick, Tick, Boom. Best Supporting Actor, Oscar Isaac for Dune. Best Actress, Rebecca Hall for The Nighthouse. Best Actor, Andrew Garfield, Tick, Tick, Boom. Best Director, Denis Villeneuve for Dune. And Best Film, Spider-Man No Way Home. So I want to talk to you about two things very quickly before we kind of wrap this podcast up. So as I mentioned before, this is episode 99. Now, there was a point last year where I began not to include things like little bonus things that I'd done, little short things. So you might remember the post-lockdown cinema sort of reviews that I did, um, the Remembering Chadwick Boseman episode that I did. I'd kind of put them down as bonus episodes, and they weren't counting in the kind of, I suppose you could call it canon of Farringdon film episodes. But I then looked back over everything, and I thought, actually, they do count. They are, in themselves, extra episodes. So once I kind of took everything in and I tied everything up, I basically realised that this most recent stream of episodes that we've done, so going right the way back to the beginning of November with Ty in columns, film files, uh, through the Spider-Man episodes, through the list episodes that I did, through the Spider-Man spoiler special, that this would make this end-of-year special episode 99. Now, what that basically means, obviously, is that the next episode that is released for Firing on Film is episode 100. And I wanted to do something special. I wanted to do something, I suppose, a little bit different. And if I'm honest, and I'll let you all on this now, I had a much grander plan. So my original plan and what I was finding out I could do and what, what I found out was actually more people were reciprocal of was getting in touch with people in the industry, getting in touch with different people who had maybe starred in films and things like that. So, for instance, when I managed to get James King and Clarice Loughrey on the podcast, I thought, oh, actually, that was much easier than I thought it was going to be. All it took was one simple email and a very kind response back from these people. So the kind of grand plan for episode 100 was to do a special podcast where I reunited the cast of one of my favourite childhood films of all time, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened, not through want or trying. Um, I contacted them all separately. And as, I mean, I even got followed back by Steve Cardenas, who is Rocky the Red Ranger, so I'll take that one as a win. Um, But as is quite clear from their Instagram accounts, from their Twitter accounts, um, they are still very, very busy people, much busier than I assume they would be because the Comic-Con circuits and the convention circuits definitely take up all of their time. And I think, if, I, if I'm honest now, I think had I offered some kind of booking fee, I would have been able to get them on. But I think because their time is so precious and because they have very little of it, I just I didn't get a response and things like that. My plan was to reunite all them together, so the six, and get the director and the writer in as well. And the one person who did get back to me was the screenwriter for the film, Ann Olsen. Now, me and Ann had a very good chat. We spoke at length about Power Rangers, about him being chosen for the screenplay, about the kind of ins and outs of Hollywood-picking people to write scripts and things like that and the kind of the way that the studio system worked for him so episode 100 is going to be very much Mighty Morphin Power Rangers centered but it is essentially going to be an interview with myself and Anne Olson, the screenwriter for the film and we kind of go through how much Anne knew about the series before the film was released how he was picked to write the film which in itself is a very interesting story I had no idea things worked like that um, in Hollywood and in the film industry. And then we basically then go through tips for up-and-coming screenwriters, which, as I say this, you know, I'm recording this the day before Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve. Um, I'm aware that my year 10s are about to go into writing their scripts for the coursework for the GCSE Film Studies. I'm aware that my year 11s are currently fine-tuning it, ready for submission in May. So it's going to be really useful for students as well for to be listening and to be getting ideas, tips, um, and different hints for the screen screenplays. Now, the plan is that that is going to be released on Monday, the 31st of January at the usual time. So I'm going to give it a good month between now and then. I'm going to put some pugs out on social media and stuff for our episode 100. I thought it'd be something a bit different, something a bit different that you can listen to rather than your traditional top 10 list. But that doesn't mean that they're not coming because they are, because we've recorded quite a few. Um so that's the episode 100 plug out of the way. I'm going to leave you with something now, which I really wanted to mention at some point in the awards. And then I didn't quite get to it. Um, I've mentioned Leslie Auden Jr. And I've mentioned the uh, the film One Night in Miami, which I managed to watch not this year, but actually last year as part of London Film Festival. And in it, Leslie has written a song and he released a song called Speak Now. and this song has been an earworm for me all year long and i just wanted to get it in somewhere so i want to play it for you to kind of end this podcast so thank you very much for listening happy new year um i hope 2022 brings you everything that you want including maybe seeing the back of this COVID thing um i mean i'm not naive to say that we'll see the back of it but maybe we'll see less of it um but in the meantime you can help us put A Farrand on Film by going over to our social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and following us at A on Film by going over to our sponsors, Offworld Tees, and using the code Farrand. That's 15% off your order. And stay safe. Look after each other. And once again, Happy New Year. Enjoy Leslie Oldham Jr. And I will see you next time for episode 100.
6: Listen, listen. While the storm in your heart is raging Listen, listen, listen Listen, listen To the echoes of modest praying Listen, listen, listen Listen Listen. Brothers and sisters Listen, listen I swear we'll never find message of hope and the whispers of ghosts Listen, listen Listen For the children will grow on the seeds that we sow They listen, they listen Oh, listen Brothers and sisters, listen, listen where we'll never find a way to where we're going All alone Don't take your eyes off the road